This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. On the show, we chat to the unsung heroes of customer experience, the people who are working behind the scenes to make CX great. And on each episode, you'll learn from their examples and get aha moments and practical takeaways. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Today, we're speaking to Jeff Sells, Executive General Manager of Retail Pharmacy for Sigma Healthcare, which is Australia's largest retail pharmacy group made up of brands like Amcal and Pharmasave. Jeff has a background in corporate finance and graduated from Harvard Business School, and he now leads the retail division of Sigma Healthcare, which represents almost $2 billion in sales across the business. On today's episode, you'll hear how Sigma Healthcare manages their brand across two main value propositions, how they navigate running a B2B organisation whilst also emphasising their B2C side. You'll also hear about the effects of the pandemic on the pharmacy industry and retail trends moving forward in the coming months. Customer Experience Leaders host Michael Momsen spoke to Jeff in mid-2020. I'd love to have a chat about how you think about customer experience, especially across brands. And do you think about customer experience being different in each one of those brands? And, and just maybe from a holistic lens, what's your what's your thoughts on on all things customer experience from a from a branding perspective in that group? I think about customer experience a lot, and I think about the sort of value proposition that we're trying to put to to our customer. And it depends on who you mean by customer for a business yeah. like Sigma. So you know. With respect to our pharmacy brands, we're effectively a franchisor and we don't own the end store. And so we need to think across two layers. We need to think about the the customer being from a B2B perspective in terms of the franchisee and, and the yep. owner of the store, as well as the consumer. Right. And, 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 you know, how we want to position that particular brand from a, from a patient or a consumer point of view. You know, I sort of try and look at strategies that we're putting in place that takes into account both aspects. So for us, because our customer is is first and foremost, you know, we're a B2B business um, as a franchisor. So we think about the pharmacist and the pharmacy owner mm. uh, firstly, and, and why would they want to be in that brand and sort of what's what's our job, if you like, you know, what's the job that they're hiring us for? And, and you know, we think about that a lot. And really try and take a sort of an outside-in approach as opposed to an inside-out approach is the way I try and advocate in here in terms of the way that we should think. So we try and be – the way we set ourselves up to deliver the right experience to our customers is to try and be, in one sense, almost brand agnostic in the way that we set up our core services, but to be very much customer-led. And what I mean by that is that in terms of how we set up our core services that we provide as a as a business, make that as good as we can to the extent that it's not impacting on the brand positioning. And then in terms of what we're then delivering to our customers and then ultimately onto consumers, think really carefully about being customer-led in that regard. So what we want Amcal to be in the marketplace, both at a B2B level and at a B2C level, is something that we think about really carefully. And then we do the same thing. Uh, with discount drugstores and, and and a couple of the other brands that we run. So we have about six brands and we, we sort of break them in two value propositions, if you like. So one pr- value proposition is about price and range 
And then the other value proposition is about service and value. And we sort of then dial up and dial down the service catalogue of what we're providing within both cases. And we try and do that off a, off a platform that's kind of agnostic, if you like, but is very clear about what it is we're trying to de- develop and deliver in each case. So that's the sort of the way that we go about doing it. It's not normal, if you like, about trying to sort of have a diversified range of brands. As, as I said before, what we try and do is break that into two core value propositions. And then we're differentiating those brands based on dialing up and dialing down on service catalogue. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to unpack what it means to be customer-led and how that shows up and some of the challenges there. But I just want to spend a moment on, on, the, on the different brands. I certainly know as a consumer, from my perspective, you have brands that use the word discount in it, you know, or use like warehouse yeah. in it. And it is as if you're getting these incredible savings. And I suppose you, you expect more of a potential Aldi-like experience as opposed to a high yeah. care high service orientated. Just wondering, like, does the consumer think like that? Does the consumer think, oh, I want a discount experience and then I want a high touch experience? And and do they know the difference? And are they the two major major areas in terms of how consumers want to engage with a pharmacy? I think there's a couple of different sort of consumer missions that really are out there. I think if the consumer is looking for a big bucket of sort of uh, vitamins at the cheapest right. possible price, and, right. and that's all really that's all they're really looking for. Then they're most likely to go to a to a discounter or to a brand that's sort of screaming price at them, and, <laughs> right. you know, and is is screaming fifty percent off RRP yes, or exactly, whatever, yeah. yeah, you know, um, very loudly at them, you know. So they're your more sort of transient type consumers that that have got a quite a specific mission in mind. The patient, if you like, for most pharmacies that are the most valuable sort of customers, if you like, are the ones that are re- coming back to you know, a pharmacy repeatedly for helping them treat their treat their chronic disease, so mm. things like diabetes or something right. like that, then they will tend to really want to have a relationship with a pharmacist mm. as much as anything. And so, you know, the most important thing then becomes, you know, them being able to walk into a store and to really, you know, for the pharmacist to know their name, to know their history, to have a relationship with them that's very one-on-one. And in that sense, then, you know, price clearly becomes less of an issue. And really, it's a more of a holistic sort of primary caregiving in a community setting that, that they're looking for. So those types of patients would tend to be the more valuable ones to most pharmacies. And then, you know, where you've got a consumer that's on a mission just to get the lowest price on a large you know, bucket of, of vitamins, if you like, then really that's that's really pretty similar to a grocery experience mm. and, and and is really, you know, in that sense, you're competing equally on equal terms with grocery as you are with the rest of the pharmacy channel. Yes, unless you go out and create your own <laughs> branded offerings, which I'm sure um, is on the cards to be like Aldi and, and Woolies that then have to create their own branded ones to get margin there. Let's un- let's unpack what it means to be customer-led. And I think that's, that's really useful to think of pharmacy as sort of in two buckets, one being highly transactional, price-driven, uh, and FMCG purist play. And then the other one is high trust, high value. You still want value. You don't want to feel like you're being ripped off. So hence why no, that you said in exactly. the AMCAL, it's about service and value. What, what does it mean to be customer-led and how do you be customer-led? I suppose in, in both of those scenarios, but I suppose maybe with a bit more focus on the, on the, on the service side. We break our brands into sort of two core value propositions, as I said before, and we look at it in, in two ways. So we look at it as uh, firstly as a B2B and then secondly as a B2C. So, you know, primarily for us, our customer is the pharmacist and is the business owner. So that, that's where we start and we think about what's our job, like what's the job that they are hiring us to do. And we think about that from the point of view of, 
you know, we're, we're there to help them run a better business, you know. Mm. And, and so being customer-led in that sense is, is to take that outside-in approach of saying, well, if they're a business owner and they need assistance in terms of how they, you know, maximise margin or, you know, improve their gross profit or, you know, improve the number of people they've got coming through the door, then, you know, how do we deliver those sorts of services and how do we get engagement with those customers to know that we're hitting the right the right metrics and, and doing the right thing? So one of the things that we do is we run um, sort of councils, if you like, customer councils where, mm-hmm. you know, they get a say in terms of how, we, how we're developing the brand and how we're developing the consumer value propositions as well. So that's probably one of the primary ways that we do that. We also measure net promoter score and, and all of those sorts of things on a, on, a, on a constant basis. So we're doing that basically all the time. So any sort of transaction or relationship interaction that we have, um, we're measuring that all the time. But, you know, I think really the, the key thing here is to you know, put ourselves in their shoes Think about, well, if you're in their position, what would you want? And then I guess be able to sort of, you know, hold yourself to account both both yourself, but then also working with, you know, representatives of those customer groups, how you're actually going and how you're tracking and, and, and how you're performing. At a consumer level, what we try to do is to, you know, be very clear about, try and be very clear about well, what does AMCAL stand for? And then equally, we we go through a process of, you know, we have a set of sort of service standards, if you like. So, you know, we have standards, say, in the case of AMCAL that we've put in place that we've developed with the store owners. We audit those, if you like, on a, on a regular basis and we mm. provide that feedback back to the back to the um, to the store owners and to the to the retail managers that work in the stores. So that we've always got a sort of a feel for how we think we're going against, you know, what it is that we're we want to try and position at a at a B to C level with with those patients and customers as well. Any examples or, or stories that come to mind, maybe out of some of that work, where either from a council or from some of those bits of feedback that have bubbled up, where you've you've made changes either to a service offering or taken things off their plate to allow you know greater customer outcomes. So I think one of the things that's been a real success for us in the last probably 12, 12 to 18 months, and this has been generally across pharmacy, I think, generally, but also, but particularly in some of the brands that we run is in the area of sort of things like flu vaccinations. And you can mm. imagine in the last three months, those flu vaccinations have just, I mean, the, the growth and the demand for that has been yes. unbelievable in the last two months. But the way our stores have really embraced that you know, are really setting up a really easy way for people to be able to book in and easily get a flu vax. They don't have to go to a doctor or visit a GP. Right. They can they can book online. It's five minutes if you like. You're in there. You're out. It's done in a professional setting. You get professional advice through the through the pharmacist. Um, you know, I think the way that we've grown that year on year over the last couple of years has been phenomenal. I think generally pharmacists are unsung healthcare professionals. You know, generally. I mean, I think. Every day, they provide an amazing service to customers. They really are very, very accessible, community-based healthcare professionals that that I think make a big difference in a lot of people's lives, particularly in areas like where you've got chronic health conditions, like mm. you know whether it, you know diabetes or or, or those types of um, conditions. They make an enormous difference to people's lives every day. The two people that you serve, like one being the franchisor, the pharmacy, and making sure that you're giving them the right systems and tools and training to really free them up to be able to deliver a greater service and experience. And then obviously then there's the consumer, which 
like I want to be able to book something online, see that I can get a five-minute shot, you know, in and out. What are some examples of where you've been able to free up the franchisee because of, you know, the breadth of the back-end services and any examples of where they've then been able to spend more time, for example, um, not, not behind the counter, but having some of those meaningful engagements, which I suppose is that moment where, where service really shines. Yeah, so we, we actually developed a program a couple of years ago. We got a group of pharmacy owners to who we thought were best practice in how they engineered their workflow in the dispensary and how they purposefully manage the process of a script from a patient coming in to how the, the, the script is processed in the dispensary to then how then, you know, the product is handed across to the customer and then how the consult and the and the discussion with the patient go. We we did that in a very structured way, um, and then we've been able to roll that program. We've tested and piloted that program, re-engineering workflow in the dispensary to free the pharmacist up, so that the pharmacist. And then we train the pharmacist because I mean a lot of pharmacists are, are more are more scientists than they are business owners. Train them in terms of how to have a sort of a care counselling conversation with the patient, and then you then sort of free up all sorts of opportunities. I think you know there's a there's that wonderful uh, Seinfeld clip I think one time about how you know Jerry Seinfeld was uh, was was mistaken for a pharmacist inside a pharmacy, and anyone who came <laughs> up to him and said, you know, what about this, and he says you should buy that, and then suddenly they buy it because the pharmacist right. told them to buy it. Right. And so it, it creates a fantastic outcome in terms of for the business. You know, for every business that we did that for, and we measured everything, like we measured net promoter score, we measured scripts, you know, their script growth grew, their companion sales grew, their net promoter score grew, everything got better. Um, right. And, and primarily just from, as I said, re-engineering the workflow so that the pharmacist is not sitting in the dispensary, he's in the front of the store, right. uh, firstly, and then secondly, actually then training him in terms of how to have a conversation that's you know, a meaningful, authentic conversation. And so we've rolled that out now across all of our MPLs and we're now going through the next phase of retraining and then and then going to the next level as well. So um, I think that program has been really, really successful both from a store owner's point of view but then also in terms of the outcome, in terms of the engagement that the patient and the consumer has with the, um, with the, with the pharmacist has, has improved massively as well. It's completely in line with what I want as a consumer, right? Like, and you've got a busy job and it's hard managing drugs and scripts and so forth out the back. But like as a consumer, I, I kind of don't care. <laughs> like, No, you don't. Well, you don't well, care well, whether I, you've checked it off and you've done this. Yeah, I, mean, I want to make sure that, you know, you're not doing anything yeah. illegal out there. But no, uh, like no. you coming out behind the counter, you know, not having this whole like, you know, thing in the way and having a human to human conversation about, you know, how you're going and, you know, leading to a conversation about, oh, well, maybe it actually makes sense to have a blood pressure check or maybe, oh, you know, you've got this challenge with your daughter. Um, have you tried have you tried this? You know, from a commercial standpoint, it makes sense that you're going to end up selling more, but actually if you sort of take the customer led perspective, it's what the customer wants. So the customer wants it's very different where if I'm going to, to a grocery store and I know what I want and I just pick those things off the shelf. But that, that advisory capability, you need the relationship and the trust and the accessibility to be there for that to then really flourish. So that, I think that's a great example of that coming to life. So we used a pharmacy owner to develop that program and, and it was a program that he doing in his own store. And so, you know, it had massive credibility 
just from that point of view because if another pharmacy owner wanted to tell him, oh, no, that won't work in my store, right? you know, he can say, well, no, actually, I can tell you what does because I've been doing it in my store and I know it works. And, yeah, and nice. so, you know, half the battle sometimes is actually convincing the, the pharmacy or the business owner that it's real and it works and, and it's been tested. And, and I think having the credibility of it being, being developed by, by someone by, in their peer group makes a massive difference. Welcome, Jeff, to the quickfire questions. What is a brand that you look up to as a good example of great customer experience? I think Eldi is a really good brand. I really like that brand. They have a really simple value proposition and then they just make sure that they deliver on it. They don't try to be something that they're not. They, they know who they are and what they are and, and, and they deliver on it. And what did you want to be when you grew up? Actually, I wanted to be an architect. Oh, yeah? Uh, I actually used to do drawings of, uh, like, architectural drawings of, of houses and cars and things like that. What's a skill that you're terrible at, Jeff? If I'm terrible at something, I tend not to do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Perhaps listening in golf, I might give as, as, as answers. What's something that you're reading right now? One of the Ryan Halliday books. So, um, Daily Stoic? No, I'm, I've read that one. I'm reading the one about ego. Ego is the enemy. Uh, who's someone that you really admire? A CEO that I used to work for in a, in a past life. You know, did a fantastic job of, of setting a really clear vision. What's a non-work-related thing that you're really into right now? I'm quite an avid cyclist, so you know, I'm one of these uh, appalling middle-aged men in Lycra. <laughs> Just finally, where do you go to upskill? Like, what's your, your mode? Books, YouTube, podcasts? A little bit of everything. I'm, I'm quite an avid reader, so I normally allocate a little bit of my time every day to, to doing some reading, particularly at the start of the day. I like to sort of, when I get to the office, I listen to podcasts quite regularly in the car on the way into work, so I'll do things like that. And finally, what's your guilty pleasure? I'm a bit of a lover of dark chocolate. I like to give myself or allow myself to have a piece of dark chocolate every night. I really like the Eldi dark chocolate, actually. Oh, they, yes. um, <laughs> talking about Eldi, talking about a brand that I really admire. I want to pivot the conversation to employee experience for a moment. Like I know one of the things yeah. that you're, you're passionate about is the customer experience ultimately is the experience that they have with your team members and therefore their experience day to day is a key element. It'd be good to just hear a little bit about your thoughts on, on this whole topic of, of employee experience and sort of the dance that that has with, with customer experience. So I'm a massive believer in the, what I guess you would call the service profit chain. If your goal is to achieve increased growth and greater profit, then that comes from customer loyalty. To get customer loyalty, you have to have customer satisfaction. To have customer satisfaction, you have to have, you know, an external sort of service value or, or an external service that the customer values. To deliver that, you've got to have productive employees, which means you need to have loyal employees, which means you need to have you know, um, employee satisfaction, which yeah, means they're that engaged, etc. Yeah, that they're engaged, which means you need to have internal service quality. Mm. So, you know, your starting position has to be: is your internal service of a high quality, and is it actually focused on making your employees' jobs as easy as possible, so that everything then just flows from that. One of the things that I was really big on when I came into this role a few years ago was to really make it very clear to everyone inside the business that, you know, those team members who were directly facing the customer, 
you know, so, you know, our business development managers that are in the field to make it very visible in the business to say that, you know, they are the heroes of our business, right? Because mm. they're the ones that are talking to customers all the time. Mm. They're the ones that are going to cop it if, if something goes wrong. And Absolutely. So, you know, Especially at this time. To, <laughs> correct, right? So we're here to serve them. And how do we get lined up as an organization internally so that we see those guys that they're at the pointy end of the of the customer outcomes? Um, and if we actually focus on them and, and all the things that we control that makes their, their life easier and their job easier, then the rest should flow from that. And I think, you know, we're, we're on that journey. So, you know, we're, we're, we're putting a lot of effort onto that. I, you know, again, I've really made a big song and dance about, you know, really changing the narrative around how we think about that, that, that mm. you know, in thinking about customer, if we're going to be customer-led and customer-centric, we also have to be really focused on the experience of our team members, both in the office and out, you know, those that are in the field. Right. Um, and those that are also in our customer service team as well. Mm. And how do we actually make them the heroes of our business and how do we really line up behind them because they're the ones that are that are going to be right at the coalface of what we do and and how we ultimately deliver an outcome from a customer point of view so so you're you're effectively boiling it all back down to root cause right correct correct exactly no that's great and are there any examples or stories that come to mind to implementing or optimizing or maybe folks internally that weren't quite on board and you had to get them on board and then you implemented XYZ change and you're you're beginning to see some results and it, you know it sounds like you know you're on that journey but any any sort of quick wins I'd love to hear the starting point for me was to really make it really clear to the business both inside you know those that are sort of sitting in our office and our support center and, and those that are out in the field what the priority is and how we're going to line up right so you know I can remember a few years ago you know we we run a sales conference if you like for all of our field team and and, and, and I got up in front of these guys and was quite upfront about saying, you know, I consider you to be the, the heroes of our business. And everyone who's in the base in the office is here to serve you. And, and there was a few people started crying, right? Uh, seriously, like they, they, they were in tears because they, they sort of felt like, well, shit, no one's actually realised what I go through on a day-to-day mm. basis and how, you know, when I get a customer query and then I get the ring around myself inside the, the support office and I can't get anyone to help me and then I've got the customer yelling at me, mm. right? The, the other thing that I did is, is is that we've done is that we've established, I guess, a sales effectiveness team. So a specific team in our business that's focused on how we make our sales team as effective as possible. You know, and again, it's a lots of little things. So, you know, how we set up our CRM, how we set up our internal comms, what we send out to them, how we send it out to them, the training that we do, the reporting that we do has really made a big difference. And, and, and so... You know, I think all of that's been very influential in terms of us being able to get some good outcomes over the last few years of, of how we've grown our sales and how we've grown our customer satisfaction. And it sounds like in that story that you share, you go from vision and how you think about it thematically and that, that alone is a, is a big aha moment for the team to see that, right? Moving from that to a range of practical things that need to change, which are often just smoothing out areas of friction uh, or increasing the clarity of communication and systems to be able to do a more effective job. Because, I mean, most people who go into a service-orientated role are actually quite passionate about delivering a great service. Sometimes it's those bits in between and internal stuff that gets in the way. And so seeing progress are chipping away at that means that they can, in turn, give her a better experience is what motivates them when they come to work and their life just keeps getting a bit easier month by month. Making a statement and setting a direction and being very clear about what is your intent 
Yes. And then starting to make some changes, even if they're just little changes that align with that intent, starts to get people thinking, oh, you know, hang on a minute. He, he actually really he actually really means that. And then it starts to build its own momentum. And after a while, you know, you find it actually being repeated back to you unprompted. And you think, right, okay, I've got cut through now. Yeah. And then things just start to build their own momentum. And they happen as a matter of course without me or any of my sort of team having to worry about it or watch over it and be sort of raving lunatics about it, right? So, you know, I often find that if you, you're courageous enough to make a very clear statement about your intent and your purpose and then start to make some very practical, pragmatic changes, it starts to sort of get people seeing that you you really do mean it and that this is real and it starts to then, you know, people will line up to it and, and it'll create its own momentum. Now, that's great, Jeff. Just want to pivot to the to the last topic, which is the thing that's on everyone's minds, which is yeah. living through a pandemic. And and pharmacies have been one of the businesses that certainly would have seen their sales go up, but would have yes. also increased in in execution challenge. Would have would have changed dramatically. Talk us through a little bit about you know when that struck, when you guys decided shit, we need to make some major changes. What what's that what's that journey been like? So I think it's been interesting here in, in Australia. I mean, March was an incredible month. You know, we yeah. saw sales growth above the prior year that was just phenomenal, right? Yes. Like it's just unheard of. And a lot of that was panic buying, I think. Um, sure. Some of it was, I think, a bit of stocking up just generally. And I think also an overarching sort of heightened sense of, you know, within the pharmacy sector, at least, of, of consumers just wanting to sort of take some preventative self-care, if you like. Yes, you know, things like cough and cold and those sorts of things, which was mostly kind of probably a bit of hoarding, if you like. Yep. April, we started to see that the, the panic buying finish. And, and I think certainly what I think we've seen since probably late April and into May has been certainly I think sales have still been okay, but there's no question that there's an, ele- there's an element of stocking up that now has to get worked through from March. Right. And so we haven't seen sales get back to normal levels. And, and part of that would be the stocking up in March, I think. And then part of it, I think, is also that, you know, because you've got a lot of isolation going on, yeah. people are being a lot more careful about the shopping trips that they're going on and, and the reasons for them. And hopefully we'll start to see the norm get back. I mean, it, it really stretched our supply chains over March. I mean, I yeah, think I also some of the reason why sales were constrained for us in, in April, May is it's taken us about six to eight weeks to get our supply chain re- replenished. I think the thing that's that's challenging our brains at the moment is to say, well, what does the environment look like going forward? So, yes. you know, forecasting sales and trying to pick what we think retail trends are going to be. So mm-hmm. we're definitely going to see heightened demand that's going to be sustained in certain areas, right? You know, mm. so I think things that are around prevention and hygiene, I think you're going to see that that that's yeah. going to be at a high demand going forward for at least the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I think areas in like immunity, things that are boost immunity, I think right. that's going to be an area that you're going to see also that's a heightened demand that's going to get sustained as well. Yes. And then I think the other thing for us will be, you know, things like beauty, probably less so, you know, no one's going out anymore or less. So they're probably less concerned about that. And I think that, you know, self-care, if you like, is an area where I think it'll take a little bit of time for the channel to recover because there was Mm. a lot of buying up and it's going to take time for that to sort of wash its way through. 
What were some of the major challenges to work through and that maybe still bubble around, like uh, getting access to store and kind of managing the social distancing aspects? Was it team members feeling confident? You know, was it, you know, I even at one point when it was peak, you know, I was like, I don't even know if I want to go into the pharmacy because <laughs> what, what, some, what if someone's like they're coughing? Like it actually got me away from the pharmacy. Yeah, no, exactly. So, no, I mean, I mean, we've had to. I mean, I think like many employers, you know, you you've gone through the whole process of working from home and right. how to work remotely. And I mean, that's actually been a really interesting exercise. I, I found that fascinating, and 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 I think some aspects of it will probably remain post this. But, I, you know, we had to pull all of our people off the road, um, the way we were engaging with customers, and then supporting customers in terms of how they're engaging with consumers. You know, our call center had record volumes for the whole month and being able to cope with that whilst you've got team members personally feeling, you know, vulnerable, if you like, not mm-hmm. not, a, not anything to do with work, but just going through the same processes as, as we all were. Mm. You know, I guess one of the things about our area is that, you know, pharmacy is a bit of an essential service. So, yes. you know, we, we needed to keep people on board as much as possible. So, you know, that was an area where, you know, we really needed to, you know, look after our people so that our people could sort of look after. Yes. Yeah. Back to, back to the chain, which I'll, I'll, I'll be digging up that article and I'll, I'll uh, pop a note in the, in the, the notes for that. And so, yeah, I mean, just in closing, like, it'd be good to get your sense, Jeff, you know, what is, what is your vision for customer experience look like going through a pandemic world? Hopefully there's people lining up around Amcal chemists in nine months time to get the yeah. COVID-19 vaccine. But, you know, regardless of that timing, you know, how, how are you thinking about what is, what is great customer experience in a pharmacy during a pandemic over the next six to 24 months? And what are some of the big things that, that uh, you and the team are focused on getting right? So the big thing, for, I think, for us is looking at consumer missions in, in the new world. So as I said before, I think there are areas like, you know, prevention and hygiene that are certainly ones we want to focus on. So I think there's an area around sort of consumer mission and what are the categories that we think will be more likely to be something that, that consumers are looking for going forward. And, and I think that the second area is going to be around the whole tech and omni-channel piece. Yeah. So we're, we're putting a lot of thought into that. You've seen in the GP world that telehealth has really taken off. People going to, to, to GP practices has really fallen off. That'll probably come back, but I think some aspect of that is definitely going to stay. You know, so we're looking at, you know, how we can engage with consumers pre-purchase, through the purchase, and then post-purchase, how you're kind of using a complete holistic approach to serving our customers and then also our consumers. We were already working on that, but we're really fast-tracked things. So, you know, like one of the things we implemented, you know, in the space of about three weeks was sort of last mile delivery. So, mm. you know, we, we partnered with Yellow and, and, and you know, we've, we've set up a platform for pharmacies to be able to, you know, through the MCAL app to be able to engage with consumers and be able to deliver straight to store and for that whole process to be automated. No, that's great. Thank you so much for taking time out to, to chat with us and all the fellow customer experience geeks. It's uh, been great having you on the show. Thank you. It's been a wonderful opportunity. I really appreciated the chat. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rate It, the market leader in gathering in-the-moment customer feedback. If you'd like more information, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. If you have any feedback about the show, Michael would love to hear from you directly. You can reach out to him on LinkedIn. Just search for Michael Mobson. We've put a link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, 
please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'll speak to you next time.